You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie Vallejo, and I am here with Christy today. Hey, Hello. Christy. Hello. Um, and we have some special guests that we're excited to introduce to all of you. We hope your last few weeks have been amazing. Um, those of you that are listening, um, we are on the tail end of this year, actually. I just realized that the other day. Like, this is April, yes. and we've only got like two or three our year season yes. of noisy narratives. We've only got like two or three podcasts left before the summer break that you force us to take. I do force <laughs> us to take that. I do. It's good. Which is good. Rest it's is good. good for the soul. Rest and it helps us kind of think through and pray through who's going to come on next year. Yeah. Next season. If there is a next season. Right. <laughs> we'll see, right? We will Who see. knows? There's some ideas percolating in the pot. It may just not be us next season. Maybe some other staff people too. Yeah. So. It may be fun to bring some other people. Maybe our guest today will lead some podcasts. Yeah. Oh, how's that? Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, so we will introduce them, though, real quick. Um, <laughs> Dan and Amy Gill are here with us. And we decided, there's a few reasons they're here, but we decided mm-hmm. to have a couple um, today engage in this conversation together for um, a few reasons. But, um, and when you hear their story, you'll hear why. Um, they are part of our Celebrate Recovery um, ministry here at church. They actually kind of spearhead that for our church. They've been involved in it for a long time. How long have you guys been doing CR? Oh, here, probably almost seven years. Yeah, but a little longer than that. There was a few other churches we were involved with before here. So. Okay, so they've so here about seven years, and then you were with other churches before mm-hmm. that for a little longer. Um, and they have a story that has made them just uniquely qualified, number one, but also just it's an amazing testimony to hear. And so Dan is going to share his testimony with us. Do you know his testimony, Dave? I do. Okay. I, do I don't. So I'm excited. Testimony. I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I actually met, so when my husband and I, when Jaime and I first started coming to this church. Jaime? Jaime. Well, yeah. He goes by Jaime and Jamie. I, I, both. <laughs> I don't know you know, that's pretty confusing. I met a lot, him as For a long Jamie. time, I didn't know what to tell him yeah. or call him. Yeah. I met him as Jamie, but a lot of people call him Jaime. I've never heard you say that. That's why I was like, Do you call him Jaime? I have for yes. for a, a couple of years, yes. and then I, but now I'm back to Jamie. So. Yeah, because yeah. see, he knows there are a lot of people here at this church that knew him at A and M, right? And so everybody at A and M said Jamie, right? And so he went by Jamie for a long time. Did he grow up being called Jaime? Jamie, Jamie, even like yeah. by mom, even by his mom. His mom calls him Jamie. And so you know why do you call him? Jaime? We're gym rats. I don't. You know that, right? Well, we, yeah, we, we exactly. meet at the gym in the morning. I know. So. Dan and Jamie run into each other at the oh, gym all the time. Okay, there you go. Well, we moved to El Paso, and El Paso, everybody called him Jaime. Absolutely. Even his word, and he, so he introduced himself as that. It came, so I had to make the adjustment. Okay. Well, we moved back here, or we moved to Frisco, and we there were fr- there are friends here that knew him at A and M, so they would call him Jamie, but everyone he worked with called him Jaime, called him Jaime. Oh. So then here at church, it was the same thing. It was new people he knew that he met, called him Jaime, but all these people here that we knew, they're like, no, that's Jamie. What do you mean? That's fine. <laughs> so it's been, he's both here. He's both. But now you're famous, babe. Um, but 
it was funny. Um, what was I, where was I even going with this? When we met. When we met. Thank yes. you, Amy. Thank that you, was Amy. good. <laughs> so when we first came to Frisco first, we were in Jeff Harris's class. Do y'all remember that? Yep. And our first, before we even started serving, so our baby was eight weeks old. Do you remember us coming in with Bella? Yes, I do remember <laughs> that. Oh, we were in love. Yes, we came in with Bella. And I still remember Dan was away on an oil rig. Mm-hmm. So we spent time, we were talking, and I don't know what it was. Amy, you just shared a story, and I remember coming out, because everybody was really real in that class. I just remember we thought that. So Amy had shared part of her testimony, but she, we had prayed for Dan because something had happened on the rig. Like you had to stay out there longer, or I can't remember. Probably one of the hurricanes. That may have been what it Mm -hmm. was. Or it was when I was in Singapore finishing up. Mm. Yeah, because it, it was a long time ago. This would have been 15, 16 years ago. 11, 2011 or so, yeah. right? Or even earlier than that. Yeah, that would have been earlier than that. Seven. Yes. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it That's... was building the rig. Yeah, no, that would have been off. That would have been off the Grand Banks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would have been up in the Grand Banks. So I just remember listening, going, "Okay, these are and you as well as other couples in that group just were so welcoming for us, mm-hmm. but then also just very real about sharing your stories, and we loved that." Um, and so, and now, Dan, you run into Jamie all the time at, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at the gym, so it's fun. So we've known each other for a long time, but CR started after that. So tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, um, Dan, share a little bit about your story um, in recovery, because this kind of is part of our series we're doing right now on just mental health in general. Um, and so we just wanted you to share your story, your testimony, but then also for Amy to share, for you to share how Amy's come alongside you in that, how women can come alongside their men, um, as they're sharing their story, but then also Amy, you'll share, um, too afterwards. So, so, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit about my story. Now I have a story of, uh, kind of a long version and I'm going to kind of tighten it up a little bit for y'all. Um, and we're going to stop in between and talk about a few things that come up. Yes. And I think that that'll be, that'll be helpful. Um, right. so hello everyone. My name is Dan. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I'm in recovery for alcoholism. Hello, Dan. <laughs> hello, Dan. I'm That's used good. to that. So, uh, the way I start out my story, Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for you to prosper and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So I grew up in a small town called Pinole in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. I'm the youngest of six. Uh, My father was a World War II Pearl Harbor survivor. He fought for our great country. I also had two brothers that were in Vietnam. Hmm. So I'm a proud American. My dad was an untreated alcoholic. And my grandpa and great grandpa were also drinkers. So I come from a long line of Alkies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you call each other as Alkies? Well, that's what we do now that we're yeah, in recovery. recovery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm an alcoholic, but I got like 20 years of sobriety. So, you know, we kind of. So you, can, you yeah. can do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Um, <laughs> so the story was that my great grandpa froze to death while sitting on a park bench on the East Coast while he was drinking. Imagine that. Uh, is so, it a true story? Uh, that's the story. Okay. That was on the death certificate, right? Yeah. Well, the, there was one death certificate that said uh, that my grandpa died of pneumonia and acute alcohol poisoning, and that's for sure. Okay. Now, his dad supposedly froze to death on a park bench from being inebriated. Yeah. Hmm. 
Um, so, so that's a little bit about my family history, you know. Um, my mom was a safe Catholic, and that's a strange combination if you know anything about Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother was a very prayerful person. And I believe her prayers carry me to me and my family to this day. And this is one of them stopping points I'd like to talk about because my mother, as a kid growing up, with all the trouble I would get in, I would come in maybe at five in the morning, come walking in the house, ambling in, and there would be my mom with her Bible. And she would say, good morning, I was praying for you. You want to share a little bit about that, Amy? One of the nice things that um, when after his mom passed away, we received that one of the Bibles and mm. our names and dates were in the columns of certain scriptures now when I looked them up. That's so cool. So I now do that and I remember that to interject our children, our names and friends of ours into scripture. That's but that awesome. taught me before I even knew Jesus. So Yeah, so Amy was around from the early days, okay? And she was uh, my mom. Early days, like how old are you? Um, I was 13. Oh, early. I was was 15, 16 when we started, you know, Amy started hanging around, and uh, my mom loved Amy, you know? And uh, uh, so Amy got treated, you know, a lot of times better than She liked me more. But I I deserved it. Don't, don't, I deserved it. I was, uh, I was. She wanted to adopt Amy and adopt you out? Yes, they kicked me out. I think one time she did let me live there and kicked him out. Yes, yes, that did Wow. So, you know, back to the story. Um, You know, my mom and dad were older. So, like I said, my dad was a Pearl Harbor survivor. So he was 50 years old when I was born. He had kind of already raised a family, and so he was kind of, you know, tired, you know, right. not to mention he was an alcoholic. Now, my dad was a good man, and and we had a moral compass, okay? Um, we did go to church as a family, and and we knew about the Bible. We, You know, in the Catholic Church, we really didn't read it, and I'm not throwing rocks to Catholic Church, mm-hmm. trust me, because there's only one church, right? Um, anyways, uh, 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 so... So we had a moral compass. It's just that young Dan was poorly supervised and he wasn't following it. Hmm. So uh, around this time was the 70s. It was the hippie eras. And, uh, Are you, you still know, in California? And still in California, oh, yeah. Oh, super yeah. hippie. Okay. So I moved, I moved out here in 95, Amy and I did. But anyways, yeah. We're in California, the 70s, right next to Berkeley, too. You've heard yeah. of Berkeley, uh-huh. California. Oh, so yeah. we're just like two towns over from Berkeley. Um, so anyways, uh, my brothers were party guys and that was, they were smoking weed around the house, stuff like that. My mom and dad didn't even, didn't get it. They were old farm people, you know, they were the, the, the baby boomers, you know, they were, they were older. Um, and, uh, so anyways, uh, they didn't understand the whole drug thing. They just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, around this time I was 12 or 13, uh, I started drinking and, uh, you know, uh, I, I never drank lightly. I started off drinking as an alcoholic because my dad had this thing he would do is he would stand there and he would look at you and he'd crack a beer and then he'd turn his back to you and down it and he'd <clears throat> and throw the beer away and he'd, <laughs> then he could go grab another one, you know? And we were well, good. Well, he was hiding he it from your mom. Would he do that just throughout the day? He always had some underneath My dad had alcohol stashed everywhere. My dad would drink warm beer. It yeah. could be out there in a hundred yeah. degrees, and he would go grab mm. one and down it. But uh, yeah, so that went on. So all that was going on. Like I say, uh, Amy and I met. We were altar servers at Catholic St. Church. Joseph's Catholic Church. Okay. And so she was one of the first girl altar servers. And of course, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do at the old Catholic Church. It was a um, 
a Spanish um, like mission style mission style yeah and it had the big bell tower and mm. I used to you know one of my favorite things to do on Christmas is I got to ring that bell and uh, so very good memories we in in that church you know and, and being an altar server so anyways um, uh, that's where we actually saw each other for the first time uh, when I was around 16 he was the perfect bad boy for me yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah anyways when I turned 16 I got my I had my license for three months I got my first DUI um, I wrecked my car a Delta 88 into two cars um, wow. smashed there was a 1984 drop-top GT Mustang and a 1984 Mazda RX-7 which were really hot cool cars yeah. But they were parked in my way. They were in the guy's driveway, right? And I came plowing around a corner and took them both out. I was driving a Delta 88. So, um, um, you know, here's the thing that happened. Uh, uh, my thinking on that was that, um, you know, that, well, after I drove down the street, I got arrested and taken to jail, right? Which yeah. I deserved. But the thing that, that I looked at from that situation was that I got caught. The problem was that I got caught. Not the problem what you were was doing. not what I was doing, but if I would have took a left instead of a right, mm. maybe I wouldn't have got caught and everything would have been okay. So that gave you a reason to justify continuing that was what my, you were doing. This is, is what a you're saying. victim mentality mm. that I carried throughout the years. And if I went through the whole story, we'd talk a, li- a, a bit more about that. We'll mention it a couple more times, but anyway, so. Um, so that was it. And then I got in trouble boosting a stereo. Um, I'm walking down the street and I decide I'm going to steal a stereo um, because, you know, I needed a stereo, you know, to make some money, you know, so I could go buy some stuff, whatever I needed. But anyways, it's a it's a it's a uh, street with windows facing, you know, the front of their house. And and there's a car parked right there. And I'm I'm jimmying to get into the car, you know, and and and, and what happened? A cop pulled around the corner. Out of all the places, mm. that cop pulled onto the street that I was. And once again, right? If I would have only, if that would have been somewhere else, it wasn't about what I was doing. Mm. It was that I got caught. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, this landed me in the California Youth Authority. So, when all my friends were graduating high school, I was um, locked up. Are y'all and, communicating at this point? Oh yeah, we're we have a love hate relationship. <laughs> you hate it when he's and... drinking, and you like him when he's not drinking. Well, and this also, too, our our relationship in the beginning really centered around drugs. Um, we we got together to do them, got together to plan how to get more. It really centered around drugs. Mm-hmm. What was y'all's drug of choice? Methamphetamines. Oh, hardcore stuff. Yeah, that well, young, too. And later on, we were manufacturing it. Oh, I want to hear about that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. not like it the movies. It goes on. So I get uh. out. I get out of Byron's Boy, or uh, California Youth Authority, um, and I got a job, a great job, working for Morrow Crane Company, and uh, it was like a golden spoon handed to me. Are you eighteen at I'm this 18, point? Eighteen, just okay. just over eighteen, and I'm healthier than I've ever mm-hmm. been, in great shape, and and I get out, and and I just go off, go off, mm-hmm. go off an edge. A good friend of mine got killed on a motorcycle, and um, you know it just really started my downward spiral. I figured, what was life? You know, why why live, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, I, I, like Amy said, I went from uh, being a, a junkie, you know, from a speed freak fiend, to a guy who learned how to mass produce methamphetamine. So, so let's so you're in um, juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. You get clean. Because you have to, yep. right? While you're in there. While yeah. you're in there, you're in a healthier spot physically. Mm-hmm. You're released at 18. 
and you're out and you're going, okay, I have this job now. Things are looking up. You have a friend, a good friend that passes away. And at this point, you're starting, you have access to drugs again. But instead of just taking them, you decide, okay, instead of taking these other jobs, I'm going to, or, and plus taking these other jobs, I'm going to go ahead and manufacture meth as well to be able to sell it. And it was a big money maker. Yeah, right. you can make some money. Yeah, yeah and, sure. Uh, you didn't have to get up and go to work in the morning. Yes. Which I had a hard time doing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because you're hungover or you're high. At that point, on that stuff, I don't know of anybody who can be functional dealing with that that stuff. The worst. It's the worst. When you get out of the correction facility or detention facility, I'm not sure exactly how you you would say that, but... um, do you go to halfway house? Or you they just open the door no, and no, you're no. out? Or do you Not have friends? As a, as a juvenile, you get released and you go home. Okay. Yeah. So did you go to your home? Or did you go to like a oh, friend's yeah. home? Yeah, I went I went home. You yeah. went home? Mom and dad, they they were there for me. They were always okay. there for me. My okay. dad was the type of guy who when I went to court, he would always be there in the back of the courtroom listening and watching and he knew everything that was going on. Hmm. He actually had all my court documents. He had every single one of them. So, so anyways, the trouble is snowballing at this point. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, you keep going. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at this point I'm starting to carry guns with me because I'm making drugs and there's people getting shot. And, um, now and then when I'm getting pulled over, the guns are being found. Wait, where are you making these drugs at? I'm sorry. I want to stop that. I'm so intrigued by this. (laughs) You make them in a garage usually. Like your parents' garage garage or like a friend's? No, sometimes I would do it wherever, but uh, you you would have safe houses where you went and made that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this is California now in a different time because you can almost get caught. And, well, maybe it's not so much a different time anymore because nowadays they're really lenient on that stuff. And, uh, you know, Texas was... uh, you wouldn't have got away with the things I got mm-hmm. away with out there out mm-hmm. here. So, okay. so you're, Amy, are you helping at this point? Oh, I introduced them to okay. several people. They were friends of mine. Okay. Um, one became our, our yeah. best friend. So bad yeah, girl, she bad looks, boy. She looks all sweet and innocent, but uh, Amy was right there with me. And okay. um, and we, we hung around a tough crowd. Okay. And, uh, and So you're having to, when you're out now, you're having to be armed. Both of us, both of you, and so then you're getting stopped, and so there's other issues coming up now as well. But it wasn't just by the police that we were getting stopped by; it was other people that wanted what we had. Right, became very dangerous. So you hear these stories. This one story was this guy got killed for having a a pound on him, and I thought if he got killed for one pound, what are they going to do for me for five pounds? Right, and it was just a sick, twisted. And good friends that we knew started fighting against each other and killing each other. A lot of the guys that I went to high school with, they, as a matter of fact, just as late, just a couple of years ago, we had another shooting. Uh, two guys I went to school with out of my graduating class, a guy killed his, his brother-in-law. Mm. Over drugs. Over drugs. Yes. Now, you're using and manufacturing at the same time. Yes. Wow. Back then, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. this starts spiraling again. At some point. So yeah, so so what happened is is um, um, I'm 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 getting caught. I don't even have a license. I'm driving. Uh, I got uh, I got uh, the DUI. Then a, a friend of mine used my license. That's what kind of people I hung around. Mm-hmm. He used my license, and they thought I had another DUI. So I lost my license again. But I never stopped driving. So I had like 25 driving on suspendeds. So. <clears throat> 
I'm a, 25? I'm a 25, yeah. 20. Yeah, I'm sorry, that just resonated with me. That's a lot. Oh, I don't stop. I get pulled yeah. over. They impound the car. I go find another car. We went car, through a lot of cars. And then I go find another car and get it running, and I'm <laughs> and off And that's again. what, that's a an addict trait, right? Insanity. Like, you're just going to do what you're going to do to keep going. I want what I want, want. when yeah. I want it. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, so this is this is going on. And then um, I got pulled over, um, and I'll just say it was... It was uh, you know, the last time uh, I had guns and ammunition on me and, and a lot of drugs and and I had a fight with the cops and uh, and I went to jail. And, uh, you know, the thing was, is um, it's beginning to look like prison is an inevitable future for me. But to me, it's almost acceptable because I just kind of accept it as that's that's where I'm that's going. That's part of your life. Kind yeah, of that's, thing. that's part of it. Um, Were you so, ever afraid of prison? Um, oh yeah, yeah. You oh, were afraid I didn't of want it. to go there, yeah. But but, but you knew it was kind of coming. It was kind of coming. It's mm-hmm. where every, you know all my friends are there. It's kind of <laughs> where you go, you know. And it's true. We actually went and visited a friend that was down in a prison called Lompoc, and we brought him drugs in prison. Calipatria too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how'd you just, sneak those in? It's a long story. Very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not going to explain how to do that on a podcast. No, no. Dang it. I want to. So, you know, and, and the, and, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't. We led a very study. different life. Yeah. It was a different life. Oh, and, of course. And um, so what happened is last time I got busted, I called. I had a brother who held all my cash. And I called him up and I said, hey, man, I need to bail you to bail me out. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And I said, come on, Rich, you got to bail me out. He said, I'm not bailing you out. And uh, you're you're headed down a path. You're going to end up dead, and I'm not I'm not helping you anymore. And uh, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, so, uh, anyways, I I did end up getting released. Uh, I still had charges hanging over my head. And when I got out, Amy's mom and dad, uh, her mom and dad, found out exactly what had happened, everything about it, and they said. We had our daughter Taylor at this point, and they said. And at that point, we were really trying to get out of it. We really yeah. wanted to they get said, out of it. This is what. Wait, got wait, wait, time out. So you're married at this point? Just, no, just got married. And then, but you said you have, but you have your daughter now. Yes. Yeah. Two years before we got married. She was our flower girl. Yeah, yeah but you're still doing drugs, and you have a kid in the mix. Now she didn't do drugs while she while was, was pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But is that hard for you? It was hard to be around everybody who was yeah. still doing them. It was hard because I was really alone. Did it cause conflict between y'all or what? Everything caused conflict well, between know. us back then. Yeah, yeah it was, a, it was the, like to Who's to say what spark? We weren't. Yeah. Know? So it was um, tough. Yeah. Well, I knew that when she was born, I really wanted to be a good mom. At that point, we were in so deep. It, we really didn't know how to begin. Nobody around us wanted us to stop. Mm. And so it was. It was just pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty vicious cycle there. Mm-hmm. And um, but the fact of the matter is that baby. When I saw her, my little girl, and uh, I wanted to be a part. I wanted. I wanted us to be a family. And and I was in the back of my mind. So what happened is when I got out, Amy's mom and dad called up and they said we need to talk to you. And they they had all all of the goods. They knew exactly what had been going down. Uh, they had the police reports and um, they said, here's what we're doing. They said, we're moving to Texas and you can stay or you can go. We really don't care, but we are taking your daughter with us and Amy's coming with us too. And so you got a choice to make. And um, I said, man, Texas sounds like a good idea. You know, <laughs> oh, it's good. And, uh, so I was I afraid went, you were going to stay. I was like, what's no, going to happen? No, I was, I was, I, I needed out of there. And I, you know, like I say, there was, those were the thoughts that were on my mind. So, 
Um, you know, I asked the judge in California, can I go to Texas? And he said, son, do you know what the laws are like in Texas? Hmm. And I said, I lied. I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, go. Get out of here. I'm tired of looking at you. He literally said, leave this state. And uh, and I did. And um, I still had to go back to California. I was on double right. felony probation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still on the Titanic. I just changed seats. Because this is where the drugs and all that stuff and all that insanity got left behind. But here we are coming to Texas and I pick up drinking. Now, Amy mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, cleaned up her act and went and got a job. She started working at Brahms and uh, yes. then she worked at Dillard's. Went to Brahms and then I went to Dillard's yeah. and then the whole family was moving here because my sister and her husband were buyers for Nordstrom. Yeah. My dad was going to be a concierge and I wanted to work in women's shoes. So we all ended up opening the first store at the Galleria. Oh, that's cool. So, so life's changing, you know. But, but the bad part is, is that I'm still drinking, right? Wait, can I ask um, a question real fast? Mm-hmm. Is your are your family is your family believers? Is this no. not believers? So that, I mean, you kind of being plucked out and coming here, maybe for your mom might be an answer to prayer, right? Like just get him out of there. When you, you say help you, you're talking to Nancy. So Amy, I'm sorry, you're asking, Amy. Amy, Sorry, Amy. you're asking, are, is your family believers? And Amy's saying no. But Correct. your family's the one responsible for getting you all to Texas away Correct. from your situation. Dan's family, your parents are believers. Mom's Answer to prayer that you guys are away from that situation you're in. But now you're finding yourself in Texas and you still take the hard stuff with you because it's inside, right? So what Dan is saying, and I think he's about to get to that part of his person, of his testimony, is that he, I mean, like you replaced one addiction for another. Yes. So alcohol then became your drug of choice at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not illegal. You can drink it. Unless yeah. at certain parts of Texas at that point, it was legal to buy it. But well, I'm yeah. guessing you were just going across the county line. <laughs> yeah. You <had> to, <laughs> to somewhere you stuff, could. Yeah. You did have to know where the wet and dry areas were. But um, so you find yourself then struggling with alcohol at that point. Yeah. So um, I believe that God started working in our lives. Um, I, I met somebody that showed me a loving God that, told, that taught me um, how the right way of living and how good that could be. Dan met somebody that also taught him how to work and responsibility yeah. and how to be a man. Yeah, I met a guy uh, when I came to Texas. Uh, I, I was looking for a job. I had a framing hammer. And I said, well, I guess I'll go to work framing houses. So I went down the street and met a guy named John Kraft. And uh, he was a Marine drill sergeant. And that's who God put in my Perfect life. Perfect for you. Uh, he me this, guy, Perfect. this guy had a moral compass. Yeah. And he was no joke. And he was ballistic mm-hmm. and insane and, and just what I needed. So <laughs> so here we are. We're in Louisville. And we're in this duplex. And who lives right next door? The Brock family moved in next door. And they, they just loved on us. And they... We ended up being um, having one of our children close together in age, and I was on maternity leave, and we spent a lot of time together. And she just uh, shared with me about a loving God, one that I did not know, um, one that I I thought I had lost a chance of knowing. And just through that friendship and spending time together, we um, got to see a whole a whole new relationship. So uh, Brian and Genevieve Brock. Very good. Uh, they ministered to us, and I wasn't there yet. I was still drinking heavily. Um, we were living in Louisville. Um, 
Our daughter, Sydney Joe, got diagnosed with cancer, and uh, they said that she had Ewing sarcoma cancer, six weeks to six months to live. And when we went to have the CAT scans done, uh, she had a bone, a hip infection, and uh, she was healed. I believe, I truly believe, mm-hmm. I saw the hand of uh, God's hand in our life. That's yeah. that's the only way that I can explain it. And um, somebody, God heard somebody's prayers about my daughter. And I knew that. I knew that in my heart of hearts. Shortly thereafter, a funny thing happened. It was called 9-11. Now, I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't remember uh-huh. that, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I remember driving a truck. I'm, I'm working at a crane company at this point, And I'm driving down the road uh, hauling counterweights. And... I'm thinking, I'm looking up in the air to see if there's airplanes flying around, right? Because we're all worried about airplanes. And, and I, I said, God, if you, if you took me right now, I'm not ready. In the meantime, back to prayer. Amy's working at a church. and she, I'm working at a church. And I can see the conflict that's causing Dan's drinking. And... I don't know what to do about it. I'm lost again. I didn't know where to start. I was afraid with these new people uh, to share anything with, right? Because then I might lose my only friends that I have. And so um, little by little, I, when they would keep asking me how they could pray for me, I, I started mentioning, you know, I, I'm just something's not right here. And little by little, um, there was this one amazing man. I think he was an angel sent straight from heaven and this little old man that would find me as I'm cleaning. I was the intern and I was cleaning, um, uh, the rooms during the week and he would find me and he would just say, God sent me to pray with you today. How can I pray for you? And little by little, I started opening up and being honest and he gave me a prayer of rejuvenation and we wrote it out and he said, Amy, you need to pray this for 30 days. And I did, and it changed our life. So um, it's somewhere around this point, right around there. It's uh, January 21st, 2002. And, um, I, you know, I, I have not used drugs or alcohol since that point in my life, right? So teetotaler, right? And um, Amy had been praying, praying this prayer. And uh, Did you know she's praying this prayer? I, I knew I knew about this guy. Yeah. Who kept approaching her because she kept telling me about At first it. I thought it was weird. Yeah, she told me about yeah. it. And and you know we we're having good conversation and and um and we're taking a kid a uh, class called Growing Kids God's Way. Yeah. We started that class. And that class wasn't about the kids really at first. It was about <laughs> it's parent training. You know? yeah. exactly and, but, that. but this is going on and the praying and and things are starting to come together and then and then I have the desire I really I'm sitting in my truck one morning after being out all night, and I had the gift of desperation. You know, God gave that to me. You know, I was sitting there, and I realized that I was powerless over what, what I had been doing. I don't have any control when I take a drink of alcohol whatsoever. And I used to think that it was like the six-pack or the, you know, the whatever that got me there. But it's the first sip of the first drink is what I cannot do. As long as I don't do that, then everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um so anyways, I started this, this program of recovery and, uh, and I, I got a sponsor and I started working through these steps. And like I say, I think the first step of the program was sitting right there in that truck that morning when God gave me that gift and helped me to realize that's what was going on. Um, so then we, we have step two, which is we're ready to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. 
And, uh, and, uh, actually that's step three, but anyways, <laughs> um, you know, I'm ready to turn, I'm ready to ask for help is what happens. And I, I walk into a room of strangers and I say, Hey, you know, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I need some help because I can't not drink. And, uh, and like I say, this, this praying is going on in the background the entire time. And this, this desire to, to change and, and what, ha- what my part was is that I had to, I had to show up. I had to go put myself out there. Mm-hmm. I had to ask for help. Can we go through, I love how you say gift of desperation. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that or go a little bit deeper on the ladies that are listening? What does that mean? So, what does it look like? So for me, it was sitting in that truck and, uh, waking up number one, you got to understand what I have inside the house. I have the American dream. I have a beautiful wife. Mm-hmm. I have a three-bedroom home, two-car garage, with three beautiful children in there with my wife, and I'm in the driveway again. And all I stopped for the night before was just two beers. See, I was just going to stop at the guys and have just two beers, and then I was going to come home. So what happens is I drink the two beers, and then the two beers take me, and I'm I'm off and running again. Mm-hmm. Here it is, 7 o'clock in the morning. I opened my eyes. I didn't want to go do it again. And there I was. And the things that I had done the night before, the places I visit, the places I hang out at, no good. It's not who I am. So you spent the night in your truck? Yeah, that's what I was I wondering. wake up in the morning in my truck. And you don't I'm remember getting home? So I'm, no, I'm, I, no yeah. I'm, I drove again. Yeah. So my gift of desperation was that day also. I specifically remember that it was the night before in the news. I heard about a drunk driver that took out a family and walked away from the wreck. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at each of my kids who slept with me in my bed when he wouldn't be come home. And I said, my kids need one parent and I need to be able to look them in the eye if anything happens and say that I did all that I could. And this is that line that... I knew that I couldn't bend or break anymore and that I needed to ask for help too. Mm -hmm. I needed to come honest with my family. I needed to let people know the extent of it. I had made excuses. Oh, Dan had to work. That's why he's not here or Mm -hmm. whatever. And I needed to start um, telling the truth. So you both at the same time had gotten to the point where, where you're both saying to this point, we can't do it by ourselves anymore. Amy, because you're saying, I can't do it on my own. I don't, I don't know how to help him by myself. Dan, you're saying, I can't I'm make this control. problem go away. I, I can't. I can't. Because I did not want to go do it again. And this wasn't, this was the umpteenth time that this had happened yeah. to me. And and what had happened, 3.30 p.m. the night before, Amy called me and told me, hey, I got dinner ready. It's ready. I'm on my way home. I'll be right there. Stop to get two beers. And that's there I it. go. I don't make it home. Well, that's what I want to ask Amy about. How did that work in the home? Like, how long did that how long was that going on? What was it? What? How were you trying to fix him? One of the ways that I tried to fix him is um, I remember piling his wallet full of pictures of me and the kids, like mm-hmm. school pictures and different things, so that if he was at the bar, he would open his wallet and remember us, mm-hmm. right? I felt when each of those promises were broken that it's because he didn't love me enough because I wasn't good enough. And I wore that guilt and shame that prevented me from asking for help because I didn't, I thought everyone would blame me for his drinking, 
which kept me isolated. It kept me all in my head. You know, to my kids, I would just tell them all the time that daddy has to work tonight or he's all the way home. But, you know, and we, I, we didn't usually fight in front of the kids. So they really didn't know. And they were so young, thankfully, um, about all of it. To my friends and family, I always made excuses or I would have a drink or two, try to play it off or just, tried to just pretend everything was okay. And it was just all inside me. I would just cry, cry for days. I would cry myself to sleep. Then I had fears of what could happen when I couldn't find him. I'm calling all the friends. This is before locators on the phone, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm calling at his work. Hey, did he show up for work? Oh, okay. Well, he showed up for work. You know, I call all his friends. Hey, have you seen him? Hey, have you seen him? You know, I remember one time piling the kids in and driving around and looking for him to see. You know, I don't know what I was planning to do. Either I was trying to find him or when he was at home and not drinking, I was trying to prove that he was drinking mm. and that he was hiding it from me. So I was digging through his car, looking for evidence. I don't know what, you know, until somebody had told me, um, that all this, none of the, nothing I was doing would stop him from drinking. I didn't understand that. Mm. I just still thought I was in control and that I could fix it. So, Dan, did you know that Amy was doing all this? What's that? that what, uh, driving around drinking? looking for you. Oh, yeah. I'm... You know, I was good. I'd get, like I say, after that second drink or so, click, mm -hmm. turn the phone off. So, I think that's one thing that's good for people to understand is that um, I think so much, whether it's, a wife that's struggling with alcoholism or a husband, the one that's trying to fix it, fix them or cover up. Or, and then the one that knows what the spouse is doing. It's easy. I think sometimes for us to take it personally, like we look at the person, we say, you know, I'm doing this, but you're still choosing X. And I think what you guys are sharing is so important for people to hear, to realize you need help. Like this person, it's captured them so totally yeah. You got, you're not, you're at the point where you're going like that point of desperation. He's not doing it to Amy on per, like, so, I mean, that feels that yeah, way. Yes, I'm but it feels that way. So you, you yeah. got to understand something too about alcoholism, that it's a disease. And mm -hmm. it's like when somebody has cancer, everybody feels sorry for them. Yeah. When somebody has alcoholism, they say, what's your problem? Yeah. And they don't understand that the person can't not medicate don't that's, you think that's changing though like that because I, so. I feel like growing up that was the case but now i feel like with people it's kind of you don't, you don't think, think it is so. dan tell us no, why no, no, you don't think alcohol. that's changed there's a there's a program it's called uh, alcoholics anonymous mm -hmm. been around since 1935 oh, yeah. and uh you know but do you was, think people's perceptions of alcoholics have changed or do you think yeah that's still nowadays bad? they try to say if you have an alcohol Something. What do they call it? The you see the commercials on TV. If you have an alcoholic affliction, okay, oh. maybe you should come to get some help from us. You know, mm -hmm. and and so you know what they do? You go to these centers and you spend two or three weeks, maybe three months, and then you know what they do? They say, here, here's a local AA meeting for you to go to. Yep, that's what a friend of mine heard. That's the exact same thing happened to her mm -hmm. husband. Yeah. Now, Celebrate Recovery actually uses the original twelve steps uh, mm -hmm. with biblical. We we mm -hmm. use the Bible to back it up, and and uh, it's it's wonderful. It's mm -hmm. the the steps are such healing tools. It's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You know, they get down to the root of the problem. Well, one of the nice things I heard you say is that this is about mental health. The great thing about Celebrate Recovery is that one, we can attend the meetings together. 
So we hear a message, we get to talk about it, we get to take the meeting home with us and talk about it. Um, but also too, it's for anyone that um, has somebody uh, like Dan in their family that has hurt them, that resentfulness. Mm-hmm. Also too, we have many people in Celebrate Recovery that are dealing with no drug and alcohol. Actually, eight out of 10 people in Celebrate Recovery have no drug or alcohol issue mental health, grief, anger, finances, all kinds of different make things. It doesn't pain any less. It doesn't. You know, oh, correct. Exactly. That's, that's the beauty so. of the program is it's not just for X or X. Mm-hmm. You come in. And, and, you know, the reason why we're here together, I mean, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to come together. And, and we have other couples in there that we get to do this with. And they have the best relationships. Um, and... Uh, so, so that's let me ask you about that real quick then, because hurting people hurt each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that is absolutely true. We see it all the time. We're mm-hmm. all broken, right? But there's spectrums some ways and how deep that wounds and those hurts and everything go. How did you guys get to the point where you were not only saying, okay, I have my individual recovery to do, but now we're working together. So we're not hurting each other. Like when did that start? So happening? I was... <laughs> It was pretty early. I was probably around my third step or so. I was sitting in the, uh, the, the Louisville group with my sponsor and I'm actually, we're actually sitting down doing the work that it takes to get sober and we're in there talking and here comes, you could hear somebody come down the hallway and then it's Amy, you know, like Flintstones <laughs> and there's Amy and she is, she is just as befuddled as us. But she wasn't expecting to find me. She wasn't I was so angry when Dan started recovery because he still was not at home helping me with three children. And after work, he was going to meetings and he was working with people and I was furious. So that's when his sponsor suggested to me to go to Al-Anon to see if I could help. That's my favorite place. Oh, okay, my. so so you're saying you're going. I you have expected to not see him in recovery. That he was just telling you he was, but mm-hmm. he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So then you see proof he's really there, and you're like, okay, guess what? Somebody finally should go. Says Amy, he's not the only one that needs support. Well, and I realized too. that if the police, some of those arguments in that beginning of his recovery, if the police were to come to the house, I would be the one taken away. He was calm, sober. I was the one that was so angry and so full of resentment and fear because I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. I was waiting to catch him in another lie. I was waiting for him to take another drink and this start all over again. And um, so thankfully, his sponsor made that suggestion. So I had somebody say to me one time, I was talking to a woman, I found this interesting um, because she has a husband in recovery. She's like, all of a sudden he's recovering. His life looks great. I still feel angry and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I don't know where to it's go with it. It's a family disease. So mm-hmm. how did you finally let go of that? So a really nice lady offered. First, um, the first meeting I went to, I was really angry because nobody would tell me how to fix them. Oh. I thought they all knew the secret and I was not in the club. Right. So very hurt, feel rejected. Um, I think it was a couple of months, again, that anger ready to blow, um, just fed up. So I tried it again, tried a different meeting. And this lady said, why don't you work the 12 steps? 
And I had worked, I had been introduced to the steps back when California, when we were getting uh, clean from drugs. And so I said, fine. And she walked me through it. And I started to see that the baggage was not all his, it was mine too. And that I definitely could, it was just so much easier to blame things on um, when I was younger or when, you know, his drinking or the drugs, or it was really easy to point all those fingers. But I started to have see things from a different perspective and that started to see that I had my own stuff that I could benefit from. So, you know, step four and five are searching fearless moral inventory. And then step five is admitted to God, to ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So So you have to be specific. Yeah. You're getting honest. To another human too. But you're not, you're not just going to the closet with God because when I do that, I'm in the closet. God's in the closet with a crazy person. Right. But um, (laughs) so we go and and we sit down with somebody and we, we literally work through our junk. Well, we balance it also too. I love that in Celebrate Recovery. We don't all just look at the negative. We look at the positive things too. Okay. So you're being specific then about giving your stuff over to God and saying, yeah. One by one. Okay. Yeah. So you have uh, five, you know, you're, you're making a fearless moral inventory. You're, you're, you're confessing, right? You're yep. doing confession, a really good house cleaning. And then step six and seven, um, you know, you're, you're asking God to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Humbly remove your shortcomings. And, um, and that's interesting too, because now that we've identified some things that are problematic and that need work, then we could start praying that God help us through that. And it's and that starts happening. Then you get to steps eight and nine. Step eight is he made a, a list of all persons we had harmed. I was so excited when he, I knew he was getting close <laughs> to nine, right? I was like, what step are you on? What step are you on? What step when are you going to get to this one? And did you want on step eight, when you got to identify the people that you'd harmed, did you want Amy to be in big block letters at the top of the page? I was waiting for him to grovel at my feet, come mm-hmm. and kiss my feet and tell me how so, I was so right and you were so wrong. Yes, so I wanted step, it. Step eight, you make this list. <laughs> so and good. once again, you sit down with the sponsor and... You know, I have my list was horrible, right? Because I had a whole different life that I used to live with, with um, um, mixed up drug, yeah, a, a poor deal. So, so we basically took my list, split it in half, and he said, "Okay, you can work on these right here. Are you willing to make amends to these people?" Yeah. Okay, that's good for now. If you ever see him in a recovery meeting or a church or something, then you can... Like your California you group work. or something? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have several with. times we've uh, run into people that are in good spots now. And that's cool. we've and been able to do on, those sprinkled throughout the years. It's been nice. On Facebook, you'll see somebody, I got X amount of years of sobriety. It's like, right on, you know. Yeah. Hey, by the way, how are you? I'd like to get together with you, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's the neat part. And, then it, and so that's what, you know... Um, eight and nine are you know it's it's just healing a healing process that you go through so how freeing is that like how does that how does that free you when you can go up to somebody and say this is how i wronged you i'm sorry will you forgive me however you word it it is absolutely free is it nerve-wracking Oh, it's, oh yeah. Well, when I I do the amends, either for myself or with others, you're discussing it with somebody else. You're rewriting it, rewriting it so that you're, make sure that it's from the godly perspective, that you're taking ownership for what you did, not telling them what they're doing. Right. And I know for it really has changed our relationship. It's nice that we can do that freely now on an ongoing basis. Like so to each other, even. To like each other. Know how to give well, a good apology. So, so there's a funny thing that happens. You, you you get past nine and then 10, 11, and 12. 
are like continuation. So step 10, it encompasses steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine on a daily basis. Yeah. So you're correcting your wrongs as you do them. You know, every day you do this inventory and you think about, hey, have, have, have I crossed the line somewhere today? And if there's something that's outstanding, you get together, you have a sponsor for a good reason. You know, women with women and men with men. And you have a sponsor that, and it's somebody you trust that you can bounce stuff off of. And, and, and you know, it's just a, it's a lifestyle. It's not something that, it's not a Bible study that I go to and I do it once, one and done out the door. It's a lifelong process. That's a good way to put it. Well, yeah. and one of the things that Celebrate Recovery did for me is up until this point, Dan had his recovery and his people. I had my my recovery and my people. And again, when we came to Celebrate Recovery, we could do it together. And that was amazing to us. One, because it spent more time together instead of apart. But also, too, I think that um, it just made our whole relationship healthier, you know, and, and also, too, it put God in recovery for me. Up until then, we had our church and then we had our recovery. And so it put it together for us and it really put the mind and soul for me together. So, you know, uh, you know, the step 10 is when wrong promptly admitted it, you know, and, and who wants to do that? You know? <laughs> who wants but to I'll, admit when they're wrong promptly, but let alone this, at all? Though, Two-part question. through the healing process, like you said, you know what it feels like to be clean, to, to stand up straight or to walk taller, to be able to look people in the eyes and be honest. And when you have something that's not sitting well right. with you, you feel it. You feel junky and you got it. You, you, you know that it's good to get rid of it. So, you, yeah. hey, Amy, you know, that thing that I said the other day, I was wrong. You know, and Amy says, yeah, you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes that's more. But, but we have this, you know, we have these, these yeah. honest and I call it adulting, you know, yeah. and, 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 you it's know, good. I don't know, maybe you guys get it. Maybe you guys have adulted your whole lives, but not me. You know, we had to learn. I was we a, learned from I scratch. Was a, I was <laughs> a 32 year old, 15 year old yeah. when I walked into recovery, you know, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. All I knew was one thing that I needed to quit drinking. And what happened to me was I got, I got introduced into a relationship with my Lord and Savior mm-hmm. that that just absolutely, uh, it's you know it, it continues on. Uh, I learned how to pray and meditate. Um, mm-hmm. I learned how to prayer, meditation, and self examination. That's good. Wow, I start practicing that. Well, what is self examination? Oh, you mean that means. I could be wrong and they could be right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to look at that. No, 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 no. Let's just stop there. Right. But in this program of recovery, we learn how to, you know, just be honest. And, you know, it's um, it's a healing deal. And we have so many people come in and they I say, hey, how's it going? They say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a bad way. Buying, you know, da, 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 da. And I say, well, um, man, you know, glad you're here. And, and they want to they want to do this deal. And I say, hey, are you married? And they say, oh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I say, well, hey, I want you to invite your wife to come and so that she can maybe get with some of the gals, you know, and, and be a part of this. Oh, she said, I'm the one with the problem. She doesn't have a problem. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Oh, well, isn't it kind of a family disease? That's what I believe. I believe that anybody who's been rubbed up against by that alcoholic in their home mm-hmm. has some stuff that, that, uh, that they've, you know, yeah. There may be a big old elephant in the room that they just don't talk about. And I think you hit on it earlier, too. If you're a believer, you're coming from, hopefully, from the place of understanding the marriage relationship is the two will become one. Yeah. I mean, what one does really does 
greatly impact the other in a way that no other relationship does besides maybe parent child, but that's even different. That's obviously Mm -hmm. not the same. So I do find that, um, I think though, to Amy's point earlier, I mean, I think sometimes you do get to the point where you're like, I have tried this with you for so long. I'm done. (laughs) Like this is, you know, um, but you guys do such a good job of explaining why it's important to try to push through that a little bit. But God will put you in your own places of desperation and then someone else, hopefully a loving, kind friend or sponsor will look at you and say, hey, you need to be in on this too, just for you. So if you're, I mean, so we've been talking about this now for a while. Um, I wanted Dan to do the last couple of steps real quick and then just had a couple of kind of final like questions for you guys. I think we have for people listening um, just to make sure that we, you know, cover bases for them, but... Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, you know, step 10, like I said, it, it contains four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And it's a daily, a daily reflection on uh, what's going on uh, in my life. I need to review that at the end of the day. Um, then we go on to step 11. And uh, this is improving, enlarging, and perfecting my relationship with my Lord and Savior. Um, I like that. It's not your higher power. No, I like it's that we're, Jesus we call Christ. Him by name. You know, I, I, like I can call him my higher power, but I usually always just say Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you something in a minute. Remind me. Bring me back okay. to that. Um, but the step 12 is uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We try to carry this message into practice principles in all our affairs. And, um, and, and carrying this message means that I'm available to help the next guy who comes in the doors, okay? Mm-hmm. So I don't just do this thing one and done and I'm out the door. Now, that would be great. I'm healed. I'm, I'm, that's just great for me. But there's, there's guys that are coming in behind me that need help. And, and, and the coolest part, the coolest part, <laughs> the most wonderful part, I see a guy come in. I say, "Hey, man, it doesn't look. You know, they got a thundercloud over their head, lightning bolts, a whole nine yards. They're in a bind. They're and they got flaming yeah. arrows hanging they out. They've got cattle them, prods, you know. pretty much pushing them <laughs> in that direction. They're in a you bind. You will go here or else. And they're, yes. they're, they don't look good. They they yeah. they're miserable. Yeah. You can tell. And you say, hey, brother, you know, come on in here, and let me just share with you what mm-hmm. happened to me. And that's see, God doesn't waste a hurt habit or hang up. So I have some stories, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of them, you know, that I can share with a guy. And say, hey, man, if it worked for me, maybe it can work for you. But the, the the best part, I get to work with that guy for a time. And then the next thing I know, I'm standing over here and a newcomer walks in the door and that guy grabs that guy. And that is tip top. Yeah, okay. it is. So that's where we get to pass it on. And and that is God. God works with the shotgun effect. You know, he, he takes care of multiple <laughs> things all at once, you know, and that's been my story in my life. Um, as you know, um, Today, uh, Amy is North Texas ministry leader for Celebrate Recovery. Yeah. She goes and she gets to look over the groups that are starting in the area, and she's uh, um, she knows all of them. And uh, mm-hmm. she's good uh, at it. Yeah, and I'm actually a, a minister of life recovery here at First Baptist Church Frisco. Yeah, we ordained and, you, and they they even know me. Yeah, you know, and they know my story, and yeah. they know who I am, and they still yeah. let me hang out. And I have a key. Yeah. That works in some places. <laughs> we found we'll out it doesn't fix. work we in every building. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get that fixed. But um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you know, um, I don't have to sit around upset about the oh, you know, I wasted all those years of my life and this and that and this and that. 
God, I had to go through where I went to get to where I'm at today, and I believe that, and it was on God's timing, you know, and uh, and, I, and I didn't have to do the things that I did as a kid, and it was horrific mm-hmm. and horrible, mm-hmm. but at the same time, <laughs> we have a loving God, and I am forgiven, uh, you know, I still have to pay the consequences, don't get me wrong, yeah. it doesn't remove the consequences, but I am, um, I am forgiven, and I am dearly loved, and I am a child of God. My family is, uh, you know, and you know, all the way back to the beginning. Remember my mom praying mm-hmm. right there in the Bible? And that's, that's what, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I think of, you know. And, and so we continue on and we pray and we're praying for our family and our kids. Right? Has your mom seen you um, in the recovery state? My mom passed away in 98. I sobered up in 2002. Dang it. But the good part she was. She did give her a blessing for us to move here. Yeah. She when was, she was uh, still yeah, lucid. She had she, Alzheimer's. Okay. Yeah. And so my mom passed with Alzheimer's. My, uh, here's here's the difference. When my mom passed, mm-hmm. I drank Jack Daniels and shook my fist at God because I was mad at him, right? Because my mom was a saintly person and how mm-hmm. dare her die of Alzheimer's, right? Mm-hmm. Fast forward to 2011 when my dad passed. Mm-hmm. I got to hold his hand. I got to pray with him. Mm. Pastor Chuck actually came and and we prayed with my dad and I got to be there for him. Mm. Amy Amy was there for him. Amy's she she's the one who took care, such great care of my father, but but I got to be there and I got to be attentive and I got present, to be helpful like mentally and, and emotionally. And and I got yeah. to my other my family bless their hearts. They they were not capable of taking on my dad like we we're given the opportunity to do. Mm. Um, So that was a a So your healing and recovery not only is good for you, but the people in your lives that you care about and love benefit from a different you, from a different person. Absolutely. Which is amazing. That's an amazing part of your story. A few years ago, Dan uh, wanted to get a pardon uh, that to clear his record. Three-time felon. And our daughter wrote a letter to the governor and wrote in there that she was grateful that she did not know how he used to be. And she wrote a letter of the character and the man he is today. Mm. And we sent that along with several different letters. And he was granted a, a unconditional pardon, unconditional pardon oh, by the state so of California. Cool. When did that happen? I don't remember. That name. happened in 2015. Have you ever heard okay. of a guy named Robert? Downing Jr. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Iron Man or something yeah. like that. They announced his well, on the news, but not well, Dan's. Robert, we got, you know, it, probably because the I got same mine. Year. Got his. The you same year. The same year. Yeah. The same class. came yeah. down, the same class of pardons in, in California. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, but um, they, they advertised his. But um, it was actually on a Christmas, it was a Christmas Eve pardon. Uh, I think there was 90-something people that got pardoned. 98 people and out of like 30,000. Out of, oh, out of wow. 14,000 that year. And then the year before was when I turned it in. So like I say, there was no reason for that governor to grant me a pardon because mm-hmm. I'm not politically lined up with him or I'm not, I'm in Texas, what would be the use of it? Right. Yeah. But, um, that's God working in my life. That's definitely God's favor. God yeah. So, yeah. So if you were to, we've got people listening, we've got women listening who are in the situation Amy is in, or they themselves are struggling with alcohol. Um, or just addiction, you know, our Porn, addiction, drugs, any, yes, overall, anything. anything. That's true. Any addiction. You're right. Um, if you guys, just from your perspective real quick, 
um, from Dan, like, well, the, or either perspective you're going to take, you both have had your different struggles with, um, with addiction. What would you tell the person right now that is struggling with addiction and doesn't want to take that step of asking for help? What would you tell the person who has someone, a loved one who is struggling? Like if we're going to end it on something, what would you say you want them to take from this, from your story? My advice would be the person who is using is not ready until they're ready. You cannot make them do anything. Um, But you can help them hit a bottom. And you can help them hit a bottom by coming into recovery and working on it yourself. Hmm. That would be what I would say. Get to the be, point of desperation. Well, is what so you're, you're enabling. So by an, you're enabling that person probably a lot to it's, not allow to hit rock bottom versus going. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to let That's, them hit rock bottom. They're going to get arrested. They're going to go to jail, and that might be their rock bottom. Well, and I know one of our biggest arguments that took so long for us to get to that gift of desperation was, I wanted Dan to leave the house. Mm. I wanted to stay with the three kids, and he was like, "This is my house. I'm not leaving." So that was the stall point for us. God, that's right? so common right no- now. It's very common. Nothing changes if deal. nothing changes. And so it wasn't until I drew the boundary after reading boundaries and studying that at Mox. Good book. For great this book. Kind of stuff, yeah. um, but I realized that when that when I heard that whole story and everything, that's when I called my mom and said, can I come stay with you? Dan has a drinking problem and I need to leave. And so I was willing to give up something to get something bigger, hopefully back in return. So finally, that thing that I was holding on to my, somebody's holding on to something so tight that, that they can't let go of. But once I started to start praying and let God open that hand, and then I saw the willingness to go to my mom's, then and let somebody else in. I trusted somebody. So my suggestion is you don't have to trust everyone. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't scream about it. Make empty threats. But pray and really think about what it is you're willing to do and then follow through. And, and I will say another so thing, good. too, is a lot of times people go out and they look for the right answers and they talk to a lot of people. And they include a lot of people in their business and it really backfires on them. And it's sad when that happens because they're getting so much information and everybody knows. They don't know business. where to go. It's paralyzing. Yeah, I feel like sometimes a, it's paralyzing, yeah, right? Pick a pick a, a person that you look Besides up to. Besides the Lord yeah. in prayer. Oh, absolutely. And then pick yeah. somebody. A person that, that you can trust, a trusted, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that look like? Everybody's got them in their life, you know. A lot of times, though, they don't want to hear what they have to say. Well, in the true. first time I went to recovery, I didn't want to be there. It took me coming back, coming back, coming back. And so we always say, try eight to 10 times in a row. Mm. Keep coming back. Don't make up that one. It works if you work it. Do you all say that? (laughs) Yes, we do. We do. So don't Mm. just give up. It's good. Yeah. Man. Well, thank you so much for coming in here. Um, We really, really appreciate it. Because so thankful because so yes. many ladies are going to listen to this because they're in that position of they need to let go of something. And and as much as we talk to them on let go of something, their fear is so crippling that they can't. Mm-hmm. 
but they need to. And y'all's testimony is so good for them to go, I, I can do this. I can do this. Amy understands at a higher level what's going on in my life at times. There's times to where I say that I need to go get with, I need, I got to go talk to somebody. And she doesn't question that. She says, hey, absolutely. Yeah. Or, hey, you know, I got to get out of here and go to a meeting. There's no question. Like, did I do something wrong or something? It's like, hey, see you later. Go take yeah. care of yourself and mm-hmm. see you when you get back. And vice versa, you know, so there's an understanding that's greater than, you know, and we learn so much about ourselves, like that self-examination is is phenomenal. So, Man. Yeah. Prayer and meditation, you know, everybody does that, right? Mm-hmm. Self-examination, that's biblical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the hard part, too. Yeah. Well, and giving it all over to God, not trying to control everything. Yeah. Right? That's hard. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much from the gills. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably have y'all back to talk about something else a little more niche at some point, maybe specific. Sure. But because um, I know, I mean, y'all have done a lot of things. You've done an eating, mm-hmm. do, um, you know, a food. We have food issues group. Eating, yes, food issue stuff, all kinds of things that I think, because um, we didn't get into how the church is uniquely qualified. And that's to, Debbie's happy place. That is. <laughs> she wants to go there. I just this, always do. This church has yeah. been outstanding at helping us uh, get to where we need to be. You know, there's a lot going on at this church. Yeah. There's a lot. Well, yes. and we just, the Good. church is uniquely qualified for this. This is life giving. This is the place this for sick people. This is life giving. Yes. And Hospital for sick people. Yes. So, anyway, uh, we'd love to have you all back another well, time. Thank you will. so much for inviting yeah. us out. It was, mm-hmm. it was fun. And uh, looking yeah. forward to looking forward Here to it. it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. All right, everybody. That's it um, from us. Till next time, this is Noisy Narratives Out. Bye. Watch what happens now.